drops. Welcome. Jesse. Welcome to the to the Diamond and Weissman Hour. Thank you for being with us on our, our maiden voyage, our first episode of That's the name of our show, Maiden Voyage. Sounds sexy. Right. And I'm the maiden. I'm you're, you're the maiden. maiden. You're the damsel in distress. You're the maiden of honor. Thank you so much for having me on as your as your premier maiden. Jesse, we've been wanting to do this for a long time. And congratulations on the launch of your podcast. Thanks Thank so you very much. much. It was worth writing the book just to be able to do this episode. <laughs> I, it's high time three white men got a podcast about movies. Thank you. <laughs> let's get into it. We are, uh, uh, let's, let's, so w- one thing that we thought might be um, fun for us and no one else is. Um, Am I included in us? You could be, of course. You're you're oh, the you're the third you, partner. Thank, okay, thank you, <laughs> David, David, and Jesse. Um, is to talk about um, the movie that we're probably best known for is The Family Man with Nicolas Cage and Tay Leone, and um, to talk about that movie from beginning to end because a. Um, it's a movie that we were involved with from beginning to end, and in every stage of the making of that movie, we were um, we were sort of intimately involved in it. And second, um, it's an opportunity to really, I think, give some insight to your the people that are listening into how a movie gets made. Things haven't changed that much uh, in in these years, in these intervening years. So it might it might be interesting, and it should certainly be interesting to to us to go to go down memory lane. So let's let's talk, um, Dave. Do you remember? Can I jump in? Yes. Um, uh, can we get the the elevator pitch so people know what we're getting in for for those? The elevator pitch for the movie? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then we'll, well I we'll think check you're, you're going to get it in, in the... Uh... I am the worst guest ever. Yes, the elevator pitch for the movie. What year are we talking, at least? This, okay, so we are... So this is a, in 1995. Okay, um, okay. We it's had, a fair question, actually. It is a fair for question. For who haven't seen the movie, The Family yeah. Man is a movie. Nicholas Cage plays Jack Campbell, who's a very successful Wall Street investment banker. Uh, who eschewed a future with his college girlfriend, played by Tay Leone, in order to pursue a business opportunity, has led to this enormous success, and uh, years later has the opportunity on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, to uh, live the life that he would have lived had he made a different decision and married this woman. I'm hearing echoes of a classic tale. Was it, it a source of inspiration or is it's it? It's a Wonderful Life or oh, something else. Something uh, else. I was thinking Christmas thinking? Carol. The businessman who. Yes. Who, okay. All of those movies, yeah, I okay. think, uh, were oh, the, the sort of Christmas movie with magic mm-hmm. amongst the favorites that we had growing up. And, and in particular, It's a Wonderful Life. But so um, so let me just so let me just give you okay. the, the the background. It's Hit 1995. Uh, we had sold um, our first spec script about a year and a half, I think, before. Um, it had um, it, it had a, a blind script a script commitment with it so there was two movies the first movie was sort of developed hadn't really gone anywhere the second movie was a movie that we would end up sort of developing over a long period of time but at this particular moment hadn't really gone anywhere we were viable writers because you know we we had worked on on now uh, two or three studio films but um, we were looking for a new project 
And um, did you frame yourself as viable then? I mean, like, did you guys no. measure the day? Like, we're did viable we now. Uh, we, we, we probably sure. didn't appreciate it as much as we should have. But yes, it was. Listen, after many years of struggling, I'm not being viable. Being yeah. viable is a wonderful blessing. We had a calling card script that had sold. That's and true. everybody in town read it. And we had meetings everywhere. Yeah. We, that was, and we could pitch anywhere. We could pitch anywhere. It's my, my wife. And I've like we celebrated the day we both finally achieved consistent mediocrity. <laughs> well, that's that's it. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. once you're once you're right. once your base level is mediocre, you can only be good from there. And until you get mediocre at everything you do involved in your trade, right? Like you, you, yeah. Well, th- we were still learning you're at viable. the time. Yeah, we were viable, viable and, and I think that's a perfectly perfectly apt uh, uh, um, term for what we were. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, you know, as we often did, we were brainstorming um, for new ideas. And um, I think that um, we, we'd sort of had this notion of, you know, what if there was a computer out there that could, in, that, that if you add it, if you, you, if you submitted all the data from your life, and then all of the possible paths that you could emanate from that. that what if you could see all the paths yep. from a certain point if you gave in all the data? And and we'd also been toying with an idea of a guy who just sort of wakes up instant family, a guy who, because I think we were sort of grappling with that in our own lives in some way. Anyhow, we hit upon this idea. Um, what if what if a guy um, got the opportunity to see how his life would have turned out had had he made a different decision, a glimpse, if you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, we, we we thought, okay, this is an interesting idea. We quickly quickly uh, landed on a Christmas movie because Reverie is something that happens during that time of year. You're thinking about the path not taken. You're yep, thinking about yep, things yep. like that. It felt very good to us. The tone of a, of a comedy, but maybe an elevated comedy or a comedy with some drama, a love story, all that. That felt good to us and we came up with the pitch for an idea that uh was called family man and the idea really was a guy and his college sweetheart uh at at the airport and he's about to have this incredible job opportunity in london she says what if you didn't go? What if we started our lives? He thinks that's ridiculous. Of course, you know, their their life will be fine. He's going to go take this opportunity. And then we cut to um, 10 or 15 years later. And of course, it's it's nothing of, uh, of what he thought or what she thought. And we uh, uh, let me tell you about uh, let me tell you about uh, that 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 idea of leaving a country, leaving the love of your life behind. <laughs> <laughs> this you might have some personal yeah, insight yeah, yeah, into. Yeah, yeah. The stakes are high. <laughs> well, you lived it. You lived yeah. it, and you're living it now. And what's interesting about it was that it, unintended consequences. Can I get you to slide in just a yes, little bit? You're, sorry, you're leaning off of it. Okay. <laughs> so uh, basically, what we did was we developed a pitch, and this was a time when. When uh, you could sell a pitch, it was pretty. It was it was a. You, you sort of had two choices when you had an idea. You could write it on spec, or you could sell it on a pitch. Um, we preferred pitching it, I think, because the investment was much smaller. Um, but even more than that, we've always been good in a room. Uh, that's something that uh, you know we've always had that ability. We play off each other, and, and that is two skill sets. Yes, I do not pitch well, but I write well. And it is horrible. 
it's yeah. hard to pitch if you're if it's not something you're really comfortable doing. Yeah, it's it's. We had a terrible experience. One of our earliest pitches with Mark Gordon, right? The, that is that is correct. Right, we weren't born pitchers. We kind of what, learned it. What is what is your terrible experience like? What's the what's the bird's eye view of that? What was the so bird's rotten? eye view? Is we had come up with this idea called Guam Goes to the Moon, which was to us a really charming idea about a couple of uh, disgraced former NASA astronauts who get the opportunity to go to the United States territory of Guam, mm-hmm. where a billionaire has purchased a mothballed Soviet rocket and lunar lander and wants to build a space program, and they get a second chance at the moon. It was an underdog comedy, sort of in the spirit of Cool Runnings. Um, and we went to, we, we uh, pitched the idea um, to the producer, Mark Gordon, and he got it immediately and developed it with us. And then we went to the studio to pitch it as the second picture in this two-picture deal we had um, at Fox. And we just lost the forest for the trees and we just got hung up on details. We lost the big picture and uh, probably five to seven minutes into the pitch. We were flailing. We, we, were, were, flailing. we were flailing. Like full on flop yeah. sweat. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, it was bad. And my, I think that it probably felt worse than it actually was. I think that probably what was happening was we had outlined a half hour pitch Mm-hmm. that was really heavy on detail. And, uh, you know, that's a lot of time to take from an executive, a half yep, hour, yep, 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 yep. Uh, without really giving them a very clear sense of what the movie's going to be and how they're going to sell the movie and mm-hmm. who's going to be in the movie and all of those things that they reasonably care about. And Mark saw this thing going south and just jumped in and said, Chris, the guys are telling it wrong. And in 45 seconds, he pitched the movie and the meeting was over and they bought it. (laughs) Really? That sounds like a disastrous pitch. They bought it on the spot. (laughs) It was a disaster because we had to be sitting there when our producer said, the guys are telling it wrong. It was our idea. It was our story. We had come up and, and, you know, and this was, you know, Mark Gordon went on to become one of the most prominent. It's not a bad ointment. No, no, it's not bad. At the end of the meeting, they buy it anyway. They bought it anyway. because That's a good towel for the film. It's good. Well, it's true. true. And he, you know, he really did. Tell, and, and and of course, it was his ex-partner, Chris Melodandre, who's now the head of Illumination Studios, um, who we were pitching to. But in any case. And God bless him for jumping in and cutting yes, you guys off. He, he, he sold the he movie. Saved our ass. He saved their ass. He sold the movie. Point being, after that experience, we sort of dedicated ourselves to be better at pitching. And one of the there, there were there were two ways of doing that. One is you sort of develop the innate sense of story that it takes to be able to communicate something very quickly and very well. That's not the way we went. What we went the way we went to is we figured out how to tell the story uh, sometimes in, in in very long form, but we memorized it, but memorized it in a way that felt not memorized. So, um, so y'all, you're running drills in the office at that point. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And 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 we really, um, you know, Dave was always an actor in in um, in high school and grade school. It was not something that I did that often, but we we turned out we had a little bit of a knack for it. Yeah, uh, and so. 
uh, after we got this idea for the family man uh, and our, our agent liked it a lot and he said okay I think that's one that you should work on and um, he arranged, you know, five or six pitch meetings for us and we worked on the pitch and the pitch was a half an hour long. It was memorized and performed and uh, about, I would say, 75% of that pitch actually ended up in the final movie. Which and I is- just want to jump in for a second for mm-hmm. the sake of uh, people listening who are thinking about doing this. A half hour pitch is too long. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, I'm, we, like, I'm we trying to imagine very, if you guys are doing magic tricks or something like juggling you know, we, the, in the 15 minute mark just to wake them up. We or? were very fortunate that we had, we really had learned a lot between the time we pitched Guam Goes to the Moon and the time we were pitching The Family Man. And uh, the pitch really, it was an experience. It really held together well. And you yeah. felt when it was over like you had watched the movie. It yep. was a satisfying experience to hear that pitch and to deliver the pitch. But... 30 minutes is just too long for a pitch. We would never do that now. And you should probably be thinking more along the lines of like 15 to 22 minutes to mm-hmm. pitch a movie. If and that, yeah. If that. But, you know, giving giving the person listening to your pitch the experience of, of you know, feeling like they've seen the movie is a good idea you yeah, know, for them yeah. to get the and, beginning, middle, and end of the movie and to be invested. But that was too long, but it worked. Yeah, for us, for us it worked, and, and in particular in that one, I think because we created the experience of watching the movie, it was effective, it was emotionally engaging. We went, we pitched it uh, a number of places. There were a couple interested parties, but we pitched at this company called Beacon. They were an independent company. They had made this movie called The Commitments, which had done very well. They were making a movie called Air Force One, which ultimately did very well. Yep. Yep. Um, and the guy who was their head of development was actually a guy that we kind of knew tangentially from our own uh, lives in Philadelphia. Um, his family had had he had gone to the same high school that we had gone to, but years earlier. And uh, and we'd been anxious to meet him and he'd been anxious to meet us. And we went in for uh, a pitch meeting and we told him this whole story. I think he really just fell in love with the story and he bought it. Um, and, um, you know, we went, it was, it was, it was a great, it was the first pitch that we had sold, uh, that hadn't been this, uh, the second picture of this two picture deal. So it was a pure, pure sale. There was no connection to it other than that. And we developed this, uh, movie with him. He, uh, he was, he was great. This is a guy named John Chestak probably as good at story as any producer we'd ever worked with. And he worked for a guy named Mark Abraham, who ultimately was also really one of the great producers that, that we kind of ever worked with and both had a great sense of story and had a great appreciation for this idea. And uh, we wrote a draft of the script. They were excited about it. We, we wrote another draft of the script. They continued to be excited about it. And their partners at the time were Universal. And Universal liked the script, too. And uh, and and after a, maybe a year of development, it seemed like they wanted to make the movie. And that's where the process <laughs> really started stalling because um, – they they had difficulty, you know. They, they, they sort of there was Kevin Klein was a little bit interested in mm-hmm. it, and we developed a draft for Kevin Klein, and then we lost Kevin Klein. And uh, yeah, there were a few of those types of steps where they hadn't mind an actor, and uh, we would do a draft, and for whatever reason, it wouldn't materialize. And then at one point, Nora Ephron wanted to direct it and rewrite it. 
and uh, and we were actually protected by Mark and John at that time who who they loved Nora but they they wanted to keep up they, they really appreciated the work that we had done we had come mm-hmm. up with this idea we had written all the drafts and I think they they didn't want to lose us on the project so that didn't work out and I think that what ended up happening was, uh, and we talked about this a little bit in the part one of mm-hmm. this series, that you know after they had tried to do it with a couple of different people and it wasn't working, things just sort of naturally lose momentum. This is mm-hmm. where projects begin to disappear. And that actually did happen with The Family Man for a certain period of time. And we probably were starting to give up hope that it would ever get made. And then I don't remember if this was in uh, 96. It was in 98, I think. It was in 98 already? That uh, we came back from, you know, the Christmas break into the new year and we get this call from, uh, from Beacon and they say to us, you know, we all reread the movie over the holiday and it reminded us how much we love it. And we're just going to get it up and running again. Like, we're not going to allow, you know, these passes or, you know, these obstacles to get in the way. We're going to keep going. And uh, it reinvigorated the process. And they ended up getting Curtis Hansen attached to direct the movie. And that was Is really... That eight Mile? Correct. Okay. Yeah. Eight Mile, L.A. Confidential. Yep, yep, yep. yep. Uh, and the Rocks, the Cradle. Yeah. Really yeah, yeah. a great... A great director, a great writer, and we sat down with Curtis and we talked about the script. And uh, and Curtis, at the time, wanted to do a film with Nicolas Cage, right? Correct. Yeah. And uh, and and they talked about doing this our film together. And um, I think it was it, the idea was essentially. Curtis would supervise us doing a draft of the movie for Nicolas Cage with Nicolas Cage's input. Mm-hmm. And after this draft, Nicolas Cage would sign on to the movie and they would go away and make the movie. Mm-hmm. And, we, and we started working with Curtis on the script and it was truly one of the great experiences of our life. He's a, you know, he was a, a wonderful writer, but also, you know, a really good, a really good guy, and a really influential guy on us. Yeah, yeah. Of and uh, and and the kind of advice that he was giving us for tone and for character, and 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 the reality of it uh, was all really invaluable. And I think um, the script that we ended up with when it was done was was markedly better. Uh, it was it was certainly the best thing we we'd ever written up. Yeah, until he really that helped time. us bring out he the us. best of our own inclinations and the best that yeah. that the script had to offer. So that really was the best version of the script. But it was a mixed bag because we were having this wonderful collaborative relationship with someone we really respected. It was helping yeah. making our work better. So that's great. Oh yeah yeah yeah. But Nicholas Cage kept meeting with uh, with Curtis and not saying I'm in. He would keep saying, yeah, interesting, yeah, keep going, maybe this, maybe that. Did you guys get to meet him during this process? Not or was yet. it all filtered through Curtis? It was all filtered okay. through Curtis. And at a certain point, Curtis then got offered... Um, Wonder Boys. Wonder Boys. Okay. Uh, the adaptation of the Michael Chabon novel. And that was a very personal story for him. And he, and he called us up and he's like, guys, this is one of the most difficult calls I've ever is had that, to make. Who's in that? Robert Downey? Is he in that? Or is that Michael the, Douglas. Michael Douglas. Okay, right. sorry, sorry. 
And uh, he said, I, you know, I love this project that we're doing together and the work that we're doing, but Nick doesn't seem to be, uh, you know, ready to commit. And I have this other opportunity and it's a very personal thing to yeah, me. Yeah, and I'm yeah. going to take this movie. I'm really sorry. So then, you know, we really thought it was over. But in the end, that was a very, very tough moment. And I think, you know, a moment that anyone who's been in Hollywood any amount of time has had. When you yes. lose an actor, you lose a director, you lose the person you think is going to get your movie also, made. Also, you're getting like one-on-one -on -one mentoring from Curtis Hansen. Right. Like when that, when that, right. yeah. When that was so back at the line. It was a really yeah. disappointing moment for us. And, and, we, and we were, I think, frankly, we were also concerned that, listen, if companies trying to make your movie, they're trying, they get close and it doesn't happen. That Those are the points of time where a lot of people just sort of throw up their hands and say, you know, we tried. Yeah. yeah. And this is where you really have to give uh, John Shestak and Mark Abraham and everyone at Beacon a lot of credit because uh, it did the opposite for them. I think it made them feel like, you know what? This script is fantastic, mm -hmm. and you know we did have the interest of this actor. We had the interest of this director, and you know the, we're not going to let the fact that he's moving on to another project deter us. We're going to find someone else to direct the movie, and that's when Brett Ratner entered entered the picture. And uh, Brett had made Rush Hour. He had never made a movie like this, and frankly, and Brett has talked about this a, a lot. Uh, there was a lot of skepticism about him doing this movie and uh, he had to earn it. And mm -hmm. he came in and said, I'm, you know, I want to direct this movie and here's why I want to direct it. It's very personal to me and I want Nicolas Cage to be in it. I'm going to get him. And, uh, and he did. Yeah. Can I ask a quick question about uh, financial logistics? When a movie, um, I don't want to call it development hell, but it sounds like this was might have yeah. felt that way yeah. at certain points throughout it. What are you guys getting paid for rewrites? Like how how are, how do you keep the the boat afloat when this thing just yeah. keeps lumbering along slowly, and you've got to get to other projects? Well, we were we were getting paid throughout the process. Um, but you know, two things I think um, kept it from being for us development hell. One, mm -hmm. one is we were still on the movie, which is very unusual. Uh, usually, when a project stalls, the first instinct a studio has is to fire the writers, hire a new writer. Mm -hmm. um, and this movie had stalled two th or three times now. Yeah, and they had never said, "Let's hire a new writer. Let's get some new thinking on this." They stuck by us. Uh, Remarkably, they stuck by us. We were young writers. We'd never had a movie made. It was really the whole thing was, I think, a tribute to them as a company and our shared vision for what this movie was. So that kept it a little bit from being development hell for them, I think, and for yeah, us. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing was we we had had some success at this time selling other stuff. So we we had this other movie, okay. Guam Goes to the Moon. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, we had actually in, in the interim written our, on an assignment, our first assignment, and we. We had also sold another pitch, so we were doing okay. The bills were going to be paid. Yeah, you could the bills. We weren't. We weren't. Something we weren't worried about see. that. And you know, and it was. Listen, it was an amazing time for us too. I mean, even though there was uncertainty, you know, uh, there was a moment where George Clooney wanted to do it. So we all sat down with George Clooney and had a, had this meeting. There How was does a moment, he smell? He smells wonderful. I thought so. Like moving on, <laughs> like lilacs. Um, uh, John Travolta had wanted to do the movie at one point, and so there was there was these. You know, we were getting a lot of traction with actors, so we were not. Um, I think there was stuff that kept us engaged and on board. And then when when Brett really 
said, I'm going to get Nick Cage. And he did. He got Nick Cage and boom, that movie then got greenlit because Brett brought to it a youthfulness. I mean, he was a young guy at the time. Um, he had attitude. I think Nick Cage loved Rush Hour and he loved, they, they shared a lot of appreciation for Asian film. They were, uh, they really spoke a common language and I think they were excited about doing this together. And once again, they easily could have fired us at that point and yeah. hired a big writer to come yeah. in and do this. They didn't, they, they, they stuck with us. Yeah, and uh, I think Brett was so nervous when he had read the script initially, it made him cry. And he was so nervous that changing anything in the script would oh, yeah, that change like the ripple the, effect. Yes, exactly. We'll, we'll suck so the air out of even, the room. you know, I mean, cut to however many months later, we were in production on the movie and uh, the actors also were really respectful of the, of the script, but there are scenes where they had questions and they mm -hmm. wanted to change something and Brett would call and say, you know, I need you guys to, if we weren't already there, I need you guys to come to the set because, you know, Nick has a question uh, and, uh, he really was concerned about uh, losing the emotional impact of yeah. the movie. And this is really, I mean, we just jumped ahead just one one step, so I'm going to take one step back and, and there's say... There's another step back I want to take, so you okay. take yours and then I'll take Well, my, my step back was we were still young writers. We had never had a movie made, and the experience of getting your first movie made is something you never forget. But in particular, this experience was magical, we, you know, we were included in all of the sort of important creative decisions for the movie, highly unusual for writers. We were brought to set for most of the filming uh, and, and put up with the other, you know, uh, important crew members. And um, I remember, I'll never forget for me, the highlight of probably still maybe the highlight of my whole life was the first rehearsal session we had with Nick Cage and Taylorney and Brett Ratner and hearing actors who are really, I think, among the great actors that I've ever uh, experienced, reading our words and mm -hmm. speaking our words and, and acting was, uh, was, was, was incredibly impactful on me. I, I still think about that, those, those rehearsal sessions. So the, the idea of like, okay, our movie's greenlit, super exciting but your movie's greenlit and and you're involved and 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 they yeah, want you yeah, yeah, was yeah. was really extraordinarily exciting the question the step back i wanted to take was um not not all actors kind of flip the script when they get signed on but nick cage is one of those wild cards that you gotta like rewrite it and you gotta think about you're writing for nicholas cage there are plenty of great actors who yeah. don't command the screen the specific, the very specific way that Nick Cage commands the screen. So what was that experience like of rewriting the character for him? Well, we'd already done a good amount of that, I think, with Curtis, because mm -hmm. Curtis had yeah, been yeah. meeting with him and hearing from him. So we had taken those notes into account. Um, I don't think that it was an enormous adjustment because okay. he obviously was intrigued by the movie to begin with. So he was interested in playing this character. There were just certain specific things he maybe wanted to focus on, other things that didn't resonate as much. So it was about yeah. making those adjustments. And uh, I think that one of the keys to ultimately getting him, or the biggest key to him, him signing on was his enthusiasm for doing it with Brett because of okay. Brett's sensibility. But the other thing was that 
I think that Brett really got Nick and uh, kept saying to us guys, this is the suit he would wear. This is the watch he would wear. This is the car he would drive. It was those kinds of details, and they ended up making a difference. And the the uh, funny footnote was when we actually got to the set in Teaneck, New Jersey, and the car pulled up that Jack Campbell was driving, Nick looked at the car and said, I, this is my car. I used to own this car. It actually yeah, had it was been a Ferrari that he had sold a number of years yep, before. Yep, yep, yeah. yep, yep. So we got we, we got that right. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's that's always it's such such a joy when you find a director who can wield the axe of Nicolas Cage. Like so many can there are directors who can yeah. and directors who can't, and it's you. you guys. And there are so many faces of Nicolas Cage yeah, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, we were we were sort of trying to uh, capture kind of a, a hybrid of the you know honeymoon in vegas trapped in paradise comedy nick yeah. cage with a little bit of um the 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 leave in las vegas sort of um elevated nick cage yeah, yeah. or just enough um and so we got him i think at, at such a great time in his career where he really had matured into um a consummate actor yeah. and a chameleon but but i think as you say he's correct he's like he's he's an off the wall guy and everything he brought to it i remember whatever there wasn't much that he did improvise but when he did it was always spot on and and inspirational so yeah, one of the most interesting things about watching someone with that degree of talent perform mm -hmm. what you've written is you know there were lines in that script that were written as jokes and there were other lines in the script that were written not at all as jokes. And with Nick, he would take lines that were not written as jokes and make them among the funniest lines in, mm -hmm. in the movie. I mean, they just played huge and got big laughs. Uh, and, uh, and other lines that we thought were jokes that he delivered so straight and were so much more impactful uh, mm -hmm. played that way and just think this guy just knows what he's doing. And you can do all the planning in the world, but until you watch that film with an audience for the first time, you don't know which are the jokes and which That's are, true. are and that, not. That was also, I mean, I have to say, I know I keep harping on it, but how lucky we were that um, to find ourselves, you know, on a private jet with uh, uh, the whole creative team, including the president of the studio, mm -hmm. flying to um, a location. I forget where it was. Uh, Arizona? I think I think with Ivan was Arizona. It was it was somewhere else flying to our first test screening for our first film that we had just made and had been on set for. It was really unusual and uh, and and gratifying. And as you say, watching it with an audience for the first time, where you're just you know it's not yours anymore. Yep, it's, it belongs yep. to somebody else. Yep. And you know whatever they like about it, that's up to them. So that was great. Um, the movie was released in. Um, let's get to set oh yeah, before we get to oh, okay, release, okay, like yes, we skipped okay. over the whole production. Process. All right, let's go, let's go. What set. Was, what was it like working on set? What, set is were you guys awful for writers, and uh, but fun. It was. F Listen, were you there most days? Every day we, we were there probably half the days. Okay. Uh, because too that, much time with free food. Is, yeah. Is what oh yeah. 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 Yeah, it's very dangerous for for a writer. Yes. You know, if you've if, 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 writing is is one of the few jobs on on a movie on, on a movie set where if you've done your job well, 
you know, they're the use, you're not really that useful, <laughs> you know, um, it's only when, when sort of there are, there are questions that come up and, and we were a security blanket. I think a lot of times for Brett, he, he liked having us around because I think he felt like a really strong duty to protect the script. Mm -hmm. Uh, but also he liked, I think having another, another voice, yeah. he's very collaborative. Um, and, uh, so it was, re it was really nice for us. You know, the best part about set is, you know, you get your car washed every time you go so that's nice so is that a metaphor no, no are you guys no, no no that's a perk <laughs> that's a perk jesse <laughs> i was just trying to figure out if there's like some weird <laughs> no you pull up in the morning and by the time you leave your car's been washed and the tank's been filled shit man i gotta go write a better feature <laughs> I don't know who knows if they still do that, uh, but it was pretty nice. Were the actors coming to you guys for insight into the script at all in the process, or was it? We, we sat down with Nick and Taya, with Jeremy Piven, uh, to talk through. And scenes. with Don Cheadle. Don Cheadle, for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this was not, it was not a daily occurrence. It wasn't yeah. on every scene. The script really had been honed. It yeah. really had yeah, been yeah. honed. And uh, there was not a lot. The truth is, if you looked at the pitch document uh, mm -hmm. that we used to sell the movie and you looked at the movie, that's the movie. Well, this that's is like, movie. this is the one in a billion story where it spends years in development and the final product is... That's even correct. close to what you guys initially pitched that because it's so typically close. you've moved through so many different writers yeah, and yeah. you know in order for a writer to come on we've done this work as well in order for a writer to come on to a project you need to be able to diagnose the problem yeah. so you diagnose the problem you explain how you're going to fix the problem and uh, every time someone comes on to do that you know by the time the process is over you've taken a Volkswagen and turned it into yeah. it's know, whispered down the lane yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. you know you lose a lot in translation we got lucky since then has that experience happened again or is this like the kind of one and done where you spend years in development it actually had yeah, yeah, our career again. has been unusual mm -hmm. in that in all of our we've movies? gotten four four studio movies made we've uh, never been replaced we've yeah. we've all we were the only writers on family man once we came on evolution we were the only writers uh walter parks maybe did a little bit of work i don't remember but uh but we were the only writers on evolution when in rome once we came in the director was a writer as well Old dogs, um, the only he writers. did a, a polish but we were there through the production of when in rome and old dogs we were the only writers so we yeah we, we were not replaced on those movies do you reckon that you're kind of a package deal that plays into it that it's easier to give one person the boot than it is to give two people the boot or is that they don't have a problem giving anybody the boot. Okay. Uh, the boot is... Uh, <laughs> Thank you for disillusioning yeah, me of that. No, uh, the, the boot is, is their default mode. Uh, I think, you know, in, in fact, the boot is often the default solution to any problem on a, on a, uh, with, with the development of a movie because it's the easiest thing to do to fire the writer and hire a new writer. Yeah. Uh, much easier than hiring a new director or a new lead actor. Uh, writers are easy to get, directors are hard to get, and actors are hard to get. Yeah. And the producer never leaves the project. So I think our one advantage that we had was these were original ideas for the most part, and we we sold them as original ideas. So we had a certain 
currency with them that we, we had been there at the beginning. We were also always, um, we were just good guys. We, we, we didn't make trouble. Yeah. We, we, we were there to help. Yeah. And we I, weren't I precious about anything that we had done. Uh, we were genuinely collaborative. We didn't assume we sort of go into it assuming that each person is here because they add value. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, yeah. one of the reasons we've been asked over the years, are you guys interested in directing? And uh, we've really never been interested in directing, partly because the lifestyle is not so consistent with our lives. But part of it is we've seen from experience that directors add value to a movie when they're good. Yep. And, uh, we kind of feel like we do it. We know what we understand our work. We yeah, know what yeah, we're yeah. doing. We do it as best we can. And our work has benefited from having directors come on who are, who bring what they bring. Uh, so when you can appreciate what other people are bringing to the project, it makes the experience, you know, it's not for us, it's not our way or the highway. And I yeah. think screenwriters who have that attitude, have a difficult time because yep, yep. Uh, screenwriters are viewed as being replaceable and um, and it's a collaborative medium. Yeah. How does the release go? Does the film find its audience? Well, it's interesting because I think uh, by any sort of objective measure, did very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, at the time, I think uh, the testing had gone very well and the pre-release buzz was was very strong um and the movie and the movie i think the movie is a terrific movie but the audiences were reacting very very positively to the movie and uh a decision was made um by the studio to release the movie on christmas day and uh the reason for this was they had a, another Christmas movie that they released on, on Thanksgiving. And uh, it, was, it was a movie they had a bigger investment in, a bigger investment of, of money and, and sort of a bigger relationship investment. And so we played from Christmas out of Christmas, and we did fine. We did well. I mean, the movie made $75 million uh, at the box office domestic, which... What was the budget? And the budget was 50. Okay. Uh, it made 125 or uh, over 125 total and uh, played very well in the secondary markets. Um, on, it, was a, it was a big hit on video and DVD. Um, ultimately, it was a profitable movie for the studio. Did you get any points on that or? Well, we have only you know the net points that any that any writer has, which are are, are, are worthless, but yep. you know residuals and and so on and so forth. Financially, the movie did did great for us, but even more than that, this is the takeaway: everybody, yeah. every writer, net points are worthless. <laughs> worthless. Yes. Seriously, they're you know they're worth less than 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 nothing because. Yep. Yep. Um, yep. The residuals the not worthless. Yeah. Residuals not worthless. Net points worthless. worthless. Correct. So I'm going. Uh, you know the movie. The movie did very well. I think everybody was was maybe hoping for um, a critical reaction that was better. Mm-hmm. You know there had been some early awards buds for the movie, um, and uh, and for whatever reason, I think the movie played a little bit. You know prior to September 11th, prior to. Um, um, the 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 dot com crisis. It played maybe a little um, 
glib for people. Uh, and and years later, it, it the movie really has aged well because I think the the um, the central conflict of um, of the movie is not money versus family, and we were never trying to say that there's no way to have both. The point that we were trying to make is that um, in life, every decision has consequences, and if you don't examine those consequences, if you don't examine your life, if you're somebody that that lives life without looking back uh, and only looking forward, you're missing out on things. And I think that message has has, has aged well. And uh, certainly for us, it's the movie that people talk about most, I think, when, when when they talk to us and and it's very gratifying to see that there are people that watch the movie every holiday season that it's a movie that has played a role in their own relationships and things like that that's the most gratifying that's uh that's that's the uh the weird al strategy uh let me explain what i mean by that (laughs) is uh every time weird al releases a new album there's some kid who just turned eight years old and his parent his dad buys him that album, which means that there's somebody who's going to get the whole back catalog. Yeah. A Christmas film is a, like every Christmas right. you get a new bump just because it's Christmas that, that time. That's true. And, and the family man plays, you know, from Thanksgiving to Christmas yeah. every year. And, and, uh, if you have it in you, write a, write a Christmas movie. It's, it really is a, the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, and I think, you know, as you say, in success, new generations discover it, um, every year. And, um, it's it's really it's it's a I I just I mean this is completely coincidental but it was on TV last night and I I think I watched the last thirty minutes and you know it holds up pretty well so I'm pretty we were pretty lucky that that it turned out the way it did we did that deep dive just as we planned to I've got Ooh. one question before we ring that bell what do you do when you're burning out on movies. <laughs> Write a when, book. Yeah. You're just like sick of uh, Write a book. Them. I will tell you, uh, when you're sick of watching them oh. or when you're sick of, of what's being made. Uh, a little, a column A, a little column B. I, mean, I sat I, down to watch a movie a, a week ago and I just thought like, I don't want to do this. I right. just don't want to do this right now. Right. You know, I think that the, the great ones and the ones that really have an mm-hmm. impact on you never lose their impact. But uh, I know personally, I started to feel a few years ago, especially when the landscape in Hollywood changed so much and there was so much less original stuff being made and so all franchise driven and IP driven. Uh, I started to feel in danger of falling out of love with the movies and mm-hmm. I started keeping a list of uh, movies that I liked or loved every year. What are the ones that I liked? And uh, it kind of restored my uh, my faith a little bit and this list goes, I think now it goes back about 10 years. Um, what are some of the biggins on there? The ones that spring to the front of the mind? You know, the, there are really all, it's not movies that I think are necessarily the best movies it's mm-hmm. just movies i enjoyed so yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah, for yeah. example i enjoyed when i went to see night and day the tom hanks cameron diaz yeah, movie well, yeah, yeah, yeah. i enjoyed it okay that's on the list okay uh so uh that's on the list and then you know you have movies like the favorite is on the list also mm-hmm. i enjoyed i enjoyed that movie and just thinking back from last year and what came out um, so it's a combination of stuff that you sort of you see come awards time, but also, you know, any. Uh, but like anything else, the lesson I think to, to all of us is falling. You, if you fall out of love with the movies, 
put a little effort in, you can you can find you can rekindle. Uh, yeah. Every effort effort is everything. Effort is everything in writing. Effort is everything in sustaining a career and sustaining a partnership. Yeah, uh, and doing a podcast and doing whatever it is, you really do have to. You, if you don't put in the time, it's just not going to happen. It's not going to come to you. So. We all was the, went for it. That was the worst <laughs> ring I've ever heard. There you go. You're like, you're so good at wrapping it up. Does he close out the pitches usually? Uh, no, no, but maybe we should make that adjustment. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants the first draw? Oh, all right. I'll do it. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Let me get my And if you out. don't like it, we can ring as soon as you okay. like it. Who is your favorite professional wrestler? So easy. Uh, uh, probably Barry Miguel Sagluna from the Isle of Malta. All right. Oh, oh do I answer it too? too? Well, you can't anymore. You rang the bell. Oh, damn wow. it. And you probably oh, could have, yeah. you had a lot of guys. Uh, Bobo gonna go Brazil. With, I'm going to go with Chief J Strongbow. Oh, he was amazing. You don't even know what we're talking about. I do not. I this do is not. From really Who's yours? Undertaker. Uh, see, that's uh -huh. a whole different. We're our wrestlers were so so different. Or okay, like if I'm trying to class it up here, I'd say Andre the Giant. Oh, yeah, that okay. we share. Sure. That okay. we share. Yeah, he was amazing. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. I'm gonna go for it. Oh, you you did the ring already. We don't need to drive him crazy. What have you got? Oh my, this is that's this a tight. classic. That's okay. Before yes. there were any guests on the show, I had to put eight things in the bowl myself. <laughs> okay. So uh, this is this is from before the show had its first episode. Really? Yes. Okay. This is the OG. Yeah. It's uh, the heading is my shitty pitch. Can we say that on this show? You can say whatever you want on okay. this show. Let's workshop that bad boy. It might be shitty now, but we can make it a little less so before the day is done. Okay. Who I, has a pitch? I uh, Are you guys pitching? I got a pitch. Are you pitching? Let's go. You're, you're up. All right. Um, stillborn. Okay. <laughs> Love the title. Yes. So it's the story of a woman. Uh, her name is Meridine. Uh First, let me give you a little bit of context. Okay. This have you seen um, Little Shop of Horrors? Yes. Yes. You remember the song Somewhere That's Green? No. Where Ellen Green is imagining the world that she'd live in if life was good. It's uh, like from the pages of Better Homes and Gardens. Uh, okay. and it's all very uh, plastic right. and put upon. Um, it takes place in somewhere that's green. Like it's in this other kind of hyper contra hyper saturation reality of American commercialism. So uh, that that's a little bit of context. So Meridine, she and her husband Walt uh, have have a baby. The baby comes out stillborn, mm -hmm. as you might have surmised from the title. Uh, and this begins Meridine's spiral down and down and down and down and down. Uh, she never quite recovers, and before long, the the internal anguish has started eating away the flesh of her body, which she does not fight or object to at all, and uh, it spirals down and down and down and down till her 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 demise. It is a a bleak AF horror film. It sounds like, um, yeah, and, and not a supernatural horror, just a psychological horror right what questions do you have because I'd, I'd be happy to dig down into anything uh maybe we can give it three or five minutes i don't know what do you okay. where, where, where would you go for here if you're trying to make this <clears throat> bulletproof well i wonder a little bit uh it seems like after this initial i have a couple questions actually hit me, hit me. What do you um mean? my take the second question first once 
this terrible thing happens in mm-hmm. her life, she descends into this downward spiral, mm-hmm. and there's no reversal after that. It seems like the story is going in one direction. So I don't object to the bleakness at all, uh, but I wonder if, okay, so I see your first act's turn is a stillbirth. That's a terrible thing. Mm -hmm. And then it seems like you have a mid-act reversal where she starts to to basically decompose, Mm -hmm. literally, you know, decompose because of this terrible stuff. And then it just sort of continues in that direction. Is there some turn, some opportunity that she has after that for redemption, even if she doesn't take advantage of it? Is there some hope that we have that there's a way out that she either takes advantage of or you know, the truth of her character and what she's experienced is revealed in her choosing not to take advantage of it? Um, there is, th- th- her husband, um, wants to pull her out of it but doesn't have the vocabulary or the tools to help her out it and that's why it does take place in this kind of 1950s hyper stylized america is because i look at that as a time where we didn't have a lot of the vocabulary that we do have now for uh psychological assistance uh so he's taking this fake it till you make it approach that we've got the picket fence we got the two car garage so just keep your shit together so we can hold on to this world we've built and that's not enough for her to uh to ignore the loss of of humanity that she experienced yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna violate a rule that i that i live by oh boy which and the rule is uh never try to solve a person's uh story for them but okay. suggest certain certain things oh no this is this is open table discussion. okay so so but so but i'm gonna violate that rule because um there's something in this idea that i find very intriguing oh no you both like jumped at the time yeah, 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 and, yeah. and then it was downhill from there so well no no what i find intriguing is it feels to me like it could be like a really wonderful take on the picture of dorian gray and i i, I feel the like the nice thing is i don't have to take any notes because you I'm don't recording have to, yeah it, that's right i'm gonna listen to it tomorrow morning as i well, edit it so well here's what and and here so here's what i what i thought um, because when you created this world, this sort of somewhere green world, mm-hmm. I thought that the stillborn effect on on the on on this woman of, of having a stillbirth would be the opposite. Would be that she sort of goes more in that direction, and that but her body is is. It's reacting differently down. exactly like like, her out of like that, so that so what you have is the ugliness of the world starts showing up in her body but her mind is is maybe going in the opposite direction and then and then there's a, a some sort of disparate you know a clash between that and then in the third act it, it, it goes where you say but I, you know i think that um a story that starts off bleak and just keeps getting bleaker that's a specific kind of story but it, you know mm-hmm. to me changing directions and tone within a story can often kind of be the the invigorating thing. So that's one suggestion that I would have for that pitch is maybe find a way that, um, that she has the opposite reaction of yeah, what you would think. she doesn't agree with herself. Like yes, her, her heart exactly. doesn't agree with her body. Exactly. And that, and then I was just, you know, because I was just reading about the picture of Dorian Gray. It's, it's, it's sort of a fascinating story. Um, you know, uh, uh, Victorian England and 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 when Oscar Wilde 
wrote it. I think it's the only novel he wrote. Um, and um, the I, you know, that idea of um, you know, a part of you is suffering the effects of something terrible, but another part of you isn't is very yeah. interesting to me. So that would be my only advice. But um, yeah, do you guys do script? consultation or we we not paid not <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> so i mean we, we've done it a lot what you just want a credit is no, that, no, is no, that no. Game in out right no 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 we don't we don't we just do it for free awesome so we call <laughs> these our pro bonos okay, yeah okay, okay so we got that on mic just yeah. wanted to make sure <laughs> oh. it's my turn right, your turn my turn i could have spent another hour on that one right. but i want to spare y'all <laughs> how can we support you Buy the book. Tell us we're good looking. <laughs> uh, buy Bulletproof. Buy Bulletproof. Uh, I, I, yeah. I think that's like an easy... De- even that's if you thin. don't want to support these two Davids, you should buy Bulletproof That's anyway, great. Because it's full that's of... True. I that's think there are, that, that's, that, the question is, why would you want to support us? Uh, but if you did want to support us... Um, I think that's probably... The, the, the best thing you can do is buy the book. If you like it, put a review up. Um, it's, you know, we, we wrote this book because we felt like a certain sense of mission Mm -hmm. to share our experience with a, with a a community that we love the community of writers. Um, it's, there's an esprit de corps among us. That's really, truly extraordinary and unique. And, uh, and, and in particular, I think we, we love, if we've said anything to help anybody, it, it would really, it would really be very gratifying. Yeah, I think you know we actually don't need the support. We wrote the book to support other people. Yes. So uh, I think, but we we are invested in reaching people yeah. who can use yeah. the book. Yeah. yeah so yeah. Uh, to the extent that people read the book and find it helpful, recommend it to your friends post about it review it uh we uh we just want to reach the audience for the book that's really our goal here mm-hmm. and uh and support writers who are who are trying to get into this look guys just buy the book there yeah. you go <laughs> <laughs> your turn let's go let's go around the horn once more okay. we'll do one one and one and then we will okay. wind this thing down uh, okay and you're both gorgeously handsome for there you go. Sake. what makes you feel sexy what makes you feel sexy <laughs> Uh, wow. There's very little that, uh, out there, I think that makes me feel sexy (laughs) in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I love my wife to death. And so, uh, that is, you know, if anything out there is going to make me feel sexy, it's her. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) It's that thing there. There are like a billion comedies that do the old, you know, the, the, oh, I've been married to her for 10 years. We're bored. And there, there can be some of that in any relationship. But the reality is if my wife is like, ooh, damn, you're looking good today. That, oh, it's such a fundamental, like that compliment goes so deep straight to the yes. marrow and I accept it right away. It, I know there's no right. ulterior motive and I just suddenly, damn, I do look good today. So, <laughs> and you just walk with that pet yeah, yeah, and that yeah, yeah. strut. It's totally legit. Makes it's your day. Absolutely legit. hundred percent. And you don't have to answer the question. You oh, I the bell, so you, oh, you're certainly allowed. Out I, I don't, I didn't mean do to take the out. Sexy? What's that? 
How do, when do you feel sexy? Come on. I'm feeling sexy right here talking oh, to you. Damn. Uh, what David the Deuce, feel? you can go home now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the Deuce. <laughs> I, there's no once? What do you, what's the opposite of Deuce? What's the singular? Oh. David the Ace. The Ace. The Ace, I yes. guess. We've been a partner. We've been partners for so long. There I'm is so no sorry. there is no ace. It's terrible that, that I just you broke us up. Deuce and the Ace. <laughs> Rewind. I'm digging out now. Thank, I'm the, right. I've got the flop sweat. Please. Uh, am I picking yeah, another? Yeah, yeah, right, let's, let's see, see what we got. I'm going to go yellow. After all we right. all went blue. All right. Let's see. What do we got? <laughs> Thank you for getting How often <laughs> do you meditate or take time to get quiet? Who's that one from? Let me see. That's the... from either KF or RF. Oh, Kate Faust. Kate Faust. Yes. Uh, Thanks for asking, Kate. Okay, let's make a... <laughs> Faust, I actually, Faustian bargain. I, I actually recently did start meditating using uh, an app on my phone, Headspace. What's what's what is your routine? Like five minutes in the morning or it's, an hour? I'm doing ten minutes because five minutes is an option. But I feel like I don't know five, five minutes. Is that really enough? I'm I'm a little nervous. I mean, you want to reach nirvana? I, I'm a very <laughs> anxious person. Five yes. minutes is not enough. So uh, I do 10 minutes. I don't do it every day, but, you know, I try to squeeze 10 minutes in in the morning. And I also uh, I also usually take a walk in the morning, either Mm -hmm. like before I write a scene or after I finish or something like that, just to uh, clear my head. Uh, That's what uh, that's what I do. Meditation. Yeah. Uh, I have an interesting history with meditation. I, I took TM when I was uh, probably 23 years old or 24 years old. What is the elevator pitch for transcendental meditation? Well, you know, there's two kinds of meditation. There's, you know, there's the clear your head, silence, hear, you know, mm-hmm. sort of hear the silence. And then TM is, uh, is, is you have a mantra and you say the mantra in your head over and over and over again. You go and go deep, deep, deep. And then thoughts bring you up and you try to go deep, deep, deep. Yep, yep. Again, and it's a very different you, process. Anytime your brain weaves away from the mantra, yes. your job is to bring it back yeah. onto that one mantra. They're both, I think they're both considered legitimate and, uh, you know, TM was associated with this, you know, religion uh, and most people I think that do TM don't subscribe to the tenets of the religion, but... uh, you know, so so when and I lost it for a number of years, and I started meditating again, and uh, I tried to make the the transition to um, the 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 meditation of uh, you know sort of hearing the silence, and um, I'm still still sort of in in that gray area right now of trying to figure out which which kind of meditation suits me. I, I do it only inter- intermittently. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but I have always, and, and not always, but since I was in my early twenties, recognized the importance of meditation. I, I enjoy doing it. So awesome. What about you? Uh, I, I don't meditate in, in the TM sense or in the, the headspace app. Was that what it was called? But every morning I do take a 30 minute walk to do my That's writing and then right. a 30 minute back. Yeah. Um, do you have a pet, a pet, like an animal? Yeah. Uh, no, no. Do you have a pet name? For uh, Pew. For yourself. Uh, okay. My wife calls me Pew. Nice. <laughs> That's what I call you from now on. You certainly may. <laughs> the thing is, it'll only make me feel happy. If everyone called me Pew, I would not mind it at all. All right, Pew. <laughs> all right. Last one, so I'll try to make a count. If it's bad, we can veto it. And we got two, so. We'll choose. Yes. 
All right. Do you want? I'll let you guys choose. Uh, who wants pink? Who wants white? Uh, I'll take pink. All right. Is that okay? Go for it. What inspires you? Well, I'm I'm lucky in that uh, my writing partner of. This one's going to be a good finisher. So hold that. Wow. Because <laughs> okay. the question's just better. Okay. 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 <laughs> we'll All right. What's first. my question? Facts you know about celebrities and such. Oh, my. Uh, I'm not interested in celebrities. See, I told you I'm, this other one. I'm interested good. in creativity. All right. I, I, I knew it. I knew it. We got to end strong, and I knew that wasn't going to be the... That, was <laughs> that wasn't going to be strong. <laughs> the facts about yeah. celebrities and such was not yeah. going to be one that, that people would, would finish and go, I got I to gotta listen to that again. Exactly. So I was doing you a favor. That you was didn't sense it. Appreciate it. It was an easy answer for me. Well, then, can, I, can we upgrade you to what inspires you? Uh, creating something new inspires me. Excellent. Uh, yeah. Okay, I would hate to leave you with facts about celebrities as your last, as your last word on the show. Yeah. Creativity inspires me in others and, and in myself. Isn't it fun yeah. Yeah. to see it's other people best. do something that you haven't seen before? And then it's the best. You just like the, th- the, the last one, the, the um, Sorry to Bother You was uh-huh. one of those films that was like, just a friendly reminder, here's permission. You can write anything you want. Just right. write, write the thing that you want to write. It was that that permission to 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 do what you want to do is, yeah. is uh invigorating. Take us someplace we've not been before. Yes. Write it in an authentic way. Yep. Right. Yeah. What have you got? Well, that I I I'm also in, inspired by creativity, but I what I was going to say is that um I still get to write with my partner and best friend of, you know, now close to 40 years. Uh, we, we, we work nearly every day. At, at, at the very least, we work on a common enterprise nearly every day, though we aren't necessarily together near, nearly every day. And that partnership and the creative uh, force that it creates inspires me and continues to inspire me. And I'm sure will continue to inspire me until you know, I, I can't think straight anymore. So, uh, yes. Awesome. This was a joy through and through. This was a delight to talk to both of you. I'm so glad that you insisted you come on as a team. Oh, so are we. Thank it you. Was, Thanks for accommodating us. Absolutely. We, we do appreciate it. It was a lot of fun, Jesse. Now what we got, we got bulletproof, which people should be reading if they want to be better at screenwriting. Um, but that's not the end of the story. Where can people find you on the internet, on the social media? You can find us at diamondandweissman.com. We have a, a website up there and you can find us. Also, at, it's also bulletproofscript.com. Also okay. bulletproof script and bulletproof script at Instagram and uh, on Twitter, which is not so active, but the Instagrams maybe a little more active and diamond and weissman on facebook also beautiful beautiful um and then we're hw fishbowl on instagram and we don't do twitter and hollywoodfishbowl.com uh final words i'm gonna give you the final word final word final word thank you i can't top that <laughs> smart